SequelCast 2 and Friends is a part of the HyperX Podcast Network. When two explosions of equal mass occur simultaneously, the barrier between Tromaville and its dimensional doppelganger in Mortville was weakened for a moment. After the credits roll, there's always more to tell. Especially when the video sales are doing really well. From shock treatment to Jason X to Police Academy 6. This is Sequel Cast. And they are unsurpassed at following a franchise until the better end. This is Sequel Cast. And your hosts have asked that I inform you that the show will now begin. Hello and welcome to Sequel Cast 2 and Friends, a podcast looking at movies and a podcast one film at a time. I'm your host, Matt. We are looking at um, wrapping up our look at the Toxic Avenger quadrilogy with Citizen Toxie, the Toxic Avenger 4. Came out in 2000, 2001-ish, uh, depending where you first saw the premiere. Uh, and is directed and co-written by Lloyd Kaufman. And has uh, some cameos such as Stan Lee, uh, the voice of Stan Lee, rather, uh, James Gunn, Julie Strain, and uh, Corey Feldman. No, I think you'll find that that is Kinky Finkelstein, a completely separate actor who starred in such films as the Mean Age Tutant uh, Tinge and Nurdles Part 3. I see. uh, With me is Thrasher. We have a podcast with dialogue from two different hosts. And Alex. Hey, cute kid. Right. So as it says in the poster, uh, which is pretty epic with the uh, art by Joe Paradise, a tale of two toxies. And at the same time, this also feels like it, in some way that's trying too hard and has a different sort of aesthetic, you know, um, Toxie 3 and 2 and 3, which we were talking about the past few episodes, came out like in uh, like 90, 91, 89, that kind of area. And this one came out in... Uh, 2000, around 2000, 2000, around 2000. And uh, it, what I recall about it is it's so, it just has a different aesthetic with like a lot more close-ups, I think. Less establishing shots. It seems like the the budget certainly was less than some of these other ones. It's like half a million and it kind of feels it, but it still has that kind of gross uh, trauma look to it. It yeah, definitely pressure. felt more porny. Yeah. In a number of ways. Do you remember when you first saw this thrasher, you were eagerly awaiting Toxie 4 following every bit of news or? Oh, yeah. I mean, well, this this came out. So so I was really big into Electroma in the uh, in the early to mid 90s, and it kind of fell off my radar. But then thanks to Cannibal, the musical, I rediscovered Trauma in like 99. So I was really excited for this to come out. So like the, the moment the DVD showed up in stores, uh, I picked it up and I watched it that very night. Then I watched the audio commentaries and I just devoured this movie. And Alex, what about you? I just watched it in preparation for this episode, actually, um, yesterday. And um, I have to say, it moves a lot quicker than 2 and 3 did. But, oof, there's a lot going on here, man. Well, this also, this is the most trauma 
toxic Avenger. Like, so much of this movie is built on stuff that had happened at Troma Studios after the release of Toxic <laughs> Avenger 3. Right. I mean, as we've mentioned before, you did have, you know, the Toxic Crusader cartoon spinoff, which had some, like, Nintendo and Sega games and, and so forth. But um, that was Comic only really, toys. like... Yeah, right. Uh, but still not, even though uh, they had, you know, Playmates, the people that the Ninja Turtles people do the cartoon and so forth. It was not the juggernaut like they were promised it was going to be. I think someone kind of uh, welched on the deal, perhaps, or it's, it's something Kaufman's kind of seems bitter about that he, he talks about. But he also just likes to bring up a lot of the same talking points over and over again in, in interviews a lot about, you know, he's not shy about who who to blame for for trauma and all in for um you know mainstream people not letting them play trauma stuff in theaters and all that so for all the chains and everything but yeah i mean around this time um trauma was doing okay not great uh you know they had theatrical distribution and, and some of these indie theaters way back when in the 80s and stuff but unless you were in new york or happened to be at a film festival you wouldn't see their stuff in theaters you had um, brave individuals like me, members of the Student Activity Council at college, who fought like hell to get Lloyd Kaufman to speak at their at their college. I didn't succeed, of course, but I fought like hell. Right, <laughs> and you, you as well. Um, you have things like uh, DVDs had had started becoming popular when this was out in Troma jumped into that with all these special features. I mean, the DVD for this had like three commentaries and a two hour documentary and all this stuff. So, um, and, and you had Lloyd doing, doing things like Tromeo and Juliet, which, which was a pretty big success for them on video. And uh, as you mentioned, Cannibal, the musical, the, um, the basically student film, the South Park people made, uh, over a, a holiday break while they were in uh, Colorado. And, um, that, you know, got them eventually they deal to do South Park and Troma did distribution uh, for it because no one else would take their movie. And of course, when it came out, it made because of the South Park connection, which was uh, they certainly advertised on the box um, from the creators of South Park. And, you know, when it when it came out in the beginning, I cannot overstress how much of a, a phenom South Park was. And so that led to Blockbuster Video accepting their first uh, Troma movie. Um, Cannibal the Musical. Not that I rented it from Blockbuster. I rented it from a local mom and pop place. Damn right. right. But but still, for, for Troma's exposure, I think that was a big move. Oh, yeah. Um, but yeah, Citizen Toxie, it... The beginning with the diaper mafia is just so ridiculous. Well, well, even and even it, before that, it it opens with what what may be the greatest or one of the greatest Stan Lee cameos of all time. Where Stan Lee, I gotta I gotta read this narration because this is this yeah. is trauma summing up its complicated history with its own greatest creation. <laughs> Fifteen years ago, a mop boy named Melvin Ferd fell into a case of toxic waste and became a hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength. He became the Toxic Avenger, the first superhero from New Jersey. Then came two shitty sequels. We're sorry about that. But this <laughs> is the real sequel. Yeah, and it's ahead of its time. I mean, now you see so many sequels being done like that, where they only count the first or maybe the first and the second movie. Like um, uh, the, the Halloween kind of reboots. We have like, Exorcist uh, stuff coming as well. But oh, those have to be from David really? Gordon Green. 
the new Texas uh, Chainsaw Massacre that's on Netflix, all that stuff. Yeah, I, 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 on the one hand, I like that Troma is kind of embarrassed by the previous sequels. On the other hand, all the sequels are so episodic, like, it doesn't really matter whether they're canon or not. Uh, nothing from the sequels has any bearing on this movie from a narrative perspective. Oh, you know what's funny, too, is that, like, once again, like, before David Gordon Green and, you know, Terminator Dark Fate, Troma did it first. Yep, they were innovating. Yep. But but it does sort of progress because every every movie is is essentially about to, uh, uh, Toxie is an American in a different stage in his life. So like the first movie, he's kind of like late teens, maybe early twenty somethings. You know, second movie, he pro- he proposes to his girlfriend. Third movie, he marries his girlfriend. So what's the next logical progression? Uh, having kids. Totally, and, and also- that's a great. Thing is like this this opening scene where the diaper mafia tries to take hostages hostages at this uh, school for people with developmental uh, disabilities. Uh, which hey, uh, if you can't get through the first ten minutes of this movie, then maybe you should not get through the first ten minutes of this movie. Yeah, you're gonna bail. You're gonna bail now. Is not but, um, you. but as part but as part of like a part of that that epic fight scene is that like. Like Trova uh, or Toxie's like ovulation alarm goes off, and he has to run home to have sex with us. With which you know how we talked right. about how the discrepancy between Sarah versus Claire. Well, in this movie, they just reveal her name is Sarah Claire. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes home to have sex with his wife, and then come back to fight off the rest of the mafia. And we get to see Joe Flyshaker be a real action hero in this movie. Yeah, as uh, as Lardass and. Uh... I mean, Joe Joe Fleischakers and so many of the the trauma movies just like showing up briefly is such a fun presence to him to have uh, be next to Toxie in this opening scene is is funny and and it I mean it has a lot of energy. You see a lot more of the handheld camera stuff going on in this movie than in the prior three. And um, Trent Haga is the the head of the Diaper Mafia. He wrote Romeo and Juliet, and I think he was a writer uh, on this. Was, no, James Gunn wrote uh, Romeo and Juliet. Oh, okay. But Trent Haga, he'd been working with Troma for a while. Oh, yeah. Um, as a producer and all these things. So no, he, he, he worked didn't... on. No, Trent Haga wrote, uh, was one of the writers on Toxie 4. Yep. So having them act, I mean, that shows they have a lot of people do double duty in this uh, in this film. And yeah, I mean, you're talking about the, the alarm for. Um, the the wife when she's in the ovulation window it it is something where i mean she had a story when the iphone first came out couples were using that as the alarm and there's some weird update early on that basically made the alarm not work and because this uh couple was trying to get things working with this uh i don't know if it's like artificial insemination or something where the timing was very specific and they had spent tens of thousands of dollars on this stuff it basically all was blown because the iphone update didn't work <laughs> and ruined the alarm, which is why it's still useful to purchase an alarm, even though they're just like five dollars. It's like something out of Ray Bradbury, right? Or you know, sometimes on the smartphones, like the battery just dies for no reason, the phone just crashes because they're <laughs> little computers after all. Um, but this is when this is this is when the movie really starts because uh, Toxie gets back too late, and the whole school like blows up. Uh, Lardass with it, who who is trying who is trying to eat the bomb to disarm it, and, <laughs> I, 
And I just love that. He's like, he has to spread peanut butter on the bottom. <laughs> yeah. it. But, um, but the explosion, uh, causes a weird space time shift. Uh, and Toxie, uh, Toxie switches place with his evil interdimensional duplicate, Noxie, the noxious offender who lives in a Mortville. And this leads to one of my best things. Buster Keaton said, and I think rightly, that the audience loves a slow thinker. There's this great prolonged moment where it finally dawns on Toxie that he's in a parallel universe. And it's just him looking back and forth between a sign that says a Mortville and his driver's license or whatever that says Tromaville. Like, Tromaville? <laughs> Mortville? Tromaville? A Mortville, and it takes them forever to put the pieces together. And I also love that when he runs into like Bizarro Sergeant Kabuki Man, he's like, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, my best friend, how are you? And he's like, every time he says his name, he makes it a point to say, Sergeant Kabuki Man, NYPD, what are you doing? You just ran a red light. Oh, yeah, I guess we got, we got to talk about that, because so Sergeant Kabuki Man plays a, a big part in this movie, and as they say on the audio commentaries, Part of what got this movie made is that they were always getting fan mail and questions at conventions like, when are we going to see an awesome battle between Toxie and Sergeant Kabuki Man? And this movie gives it to us. But the thing is, uh, Lloyd Kaufman and Michael Hers had such an awful time making Sergeant Kabuki Man and trying to play nice with Hollywood and trying to turn it into this multimedia thing that they really turned against the character and kind of disowned the movie, which is why whenever we see the, the real Sergeant Kabuki man from the Tromaville <laughs> timeline, he's a washed up alcoholic asshole because they hate Sergeant Kabuki man. So they really <laughs> slander him. And that's why the competent evil of Kabuki man, the one who's a threat is the evil one. <laughs> I love it. Interestingly, one of the sort of um, high-budget remake things they were trying to do is Stan Lee loved the character of Sergeant Kabuki Man so much he wanted to write a script and do a movie about him. Um, but he said he could never get his schedule working with Lloyd. But regardless, him and Lloyd Kaufman were, were friends and knew each other for a long time. And um, oh, and and on and on the uh, the subject of of all that, you can actually find this. So. Uh, uh, when the uh, Toxic Avenger animated series got off the ground as part of making Sergeant Kabuki Man a multimedia franchise, there was an attempt to make that an, an animated series that could be merchandised. So there's a sizzle reel for a Sergeant Kabuki Man animated series you can find with uh, oh, Gary yeah. Owens as both the narrator and Sergeant Kabuki Man. <laughs> How is it? It's it's not that good. Like, it. Like, you can tell that there's a bit of an influence from Batman, the animated series, because the character designs are a lot more angular uh, mm. than what's in Toxic, the Toxic Crusaders series. It's it's more angular, kind of like kind of like Batman, the animated series, but with these but but with outrageous proportions that don't work in that more angular Bruce Tim style. Um, the and. Some parts of it are hard to judge. Like, well, as as a result, and also as a result, all the heroes pretty much have the exact same body type, but with a different head. Um, the uh, Sergeant Kabuki Man is shirtless for some reason. They do give you a taste of the other characters, though, because one of the things Sergeant Kabuki Man does is he does like uh, uh, he he like pulls a fan in front of the camera and when he pulls it away, like his goofy sidekicks have turned into another group of superheroes. And there's like one ton wonton, this super, this like super powered sumo wrestler. Like none of it's all that inspiring, but you can see what they were trying to do. 
<laughs> sure, and I think with all the ninja stuff around that time, it's, I'm surprised that didn't happen. Um, but you can look it up online if you want to see the Sergeant Kabuki Man. And yeah, yeah, I'll have to check that out. That's interesting. I have to uh, say, I mean, looking. First... Oh, sorry. Go on. I do have to say, if you're what you're saying, like if you can't make it the first ten minutes of this film, maybe this isn't for you. I had almost a hard time, and like this is coming from someone who likes like is a gore hound and someone who likes some good old fashioned like prosthetic effects. And, like, if I see somebody's arms get torn off, I'm like, ooh, gross. But I know deep down, you know, that's a squib and that's, you know, a latex limb. This was, like, genuinely fucking gross. Like, with lard ass and everything and eating the bomb and just, like, the pooping stuff. It was, I was like, I don't know. Um, I'm going to have a hard time. But, I, you know, I got through it and, uh, yeah. But it was, it was a hard, uh, it was a hard, uh, you know, deep dive to take. Well, we we I guess we better I guess we better like we we we've got to get this out of the way. So uh, among the cast of characters, Toxie isn't the only person catapulted into this parallel universe. There are two other people who get catapulted there too. One is a girl from the school for people with developmental uh, disabilities named uh, Sweetie Honey, who's just who's who's like you know like a teenager who kind of has the mind of a five year old, and she's just she she's practically a Shirley Temple type. She's sort of like optimistic, but she views everything through the eyes of eyes of a child. And I and I have to say, in all seriousness, I think that character is well written. And well realized. Like she went back when I used to work at the local comic shop. She actually reminds me a lot of a customer that used to come in looking for Batman and Robin comics. That was kind of one of the regulars who who also had uh, a, a developmental disability. Then we've got Tito. Oh boy. Tito is. I'm going to say Tito is high concept. the The concept behind Tito is he's a guy with a severe developmental disability who knows he has a developmental disability and is hyper aware of the way other people perceive him and how like he sort of lives in a world that it do- isn't designed to accommodate him and it gives him this sort of well fuck it attitude and all he wants to do is get high and i don't mean smoke pot he wants to do heroin and crack and he <laughs> does them in this movie <laughs> And if you think this movie is a challenge to get through, one of the three audio commentaries on Toxic Avenger 4 is Tito's audio commentary. Does He does it in character? Yes, it's all done in character, and it's all about how he's the real star of the movie. Uh, and uh, he does a, he even does a whole thing over the credits where he sings a theme song for himself. Oh, oh my gosh. I love it. It's it's one of right. those things where where like you you know how like on on uh, on YouTube how if you put in copyrighted material from multiple sources the copyright enforcement bots cancel each other out as they keep finding things being flagged from different companies. <laughs> yep. It's kind of like that. There's so many offensive things bundled into this character that it kind they all kind of cancel each other out. Yeah, I can see that. It's like the reverse transgression theory. Right, I think there's something with the the grossness that trauma was going for at the time, more so. I mean, you did have you know, the the scenes where people's eyes are popping out and and gross stuff, and the other ones, but it's more cartoony. And you lingered on it, but this one, it like wants you to roll around in the shit with them, like almost like a divine eating poop kind of uh, way, where it just kind of lingers on on the gross stuff. 
and it makes the gross stuff so gross. I think it goes from being funny to gross and sometimes doesn't go back to being funny again. And I'm not a prude, certainly, but I, I agree, Alex. I mean, some stuff in this, it's challenging to watch and it's trauma kind of leaning as hard into its aesthetic as you can. And can you refresh my memory, Thrasher? Was this before Terra Firmer? Uh, this, yes, this was before Terra, Terra Firmer. Terra Firmer was their follow-up to this. And these, one of the meta, and, and Terra Firma, oh my God, that is only for trauma diehards. It's, as, mm-hmm. as shocking and offensive as some of the stuff in this movie is, it is at least doubled for Terra, Terra Firmer. But one of the things I got to give Terra Firmer credit for, it's almost to, uh, uh, it's a pseudo toxy sequel because the meta joke in that movie is it's all about murders that take place on a film crew. The movie they're filming is Toxic Avenger 5. Huh. Which ironically hasn't been made yet for real. They they were supposed to, uh, after this one did so well on video, they announced, you, oh, we're going to do uh, the, the sequel, Toxie 5, about the, the babies and all this stuff. And then it just yeah, never got made. From the father. Yeah. Um, so maybe on we'll see it someday. Definitely due to the big budget remake of the first movie. Oh, really? Has that been part of what's been holding it up? They've yes. Been trying to do, it, it yeah, they've been easier. trying to do it was easier to secure funding, produ- production, and distribution of the remake than it was of the sequel. Poor trauma. That's always the tricky thing. Oh, but there's another there's another character because in the evil Mortville universe, there's also uh, Pompey, uh, and Pompey Pompey is. He's a guy that Toxie saves, but he's specifically, he's an African-American guy who the Klan is trying to lynch. Toxie saves him, but he's been dragged behind the Klan's pickup truck for so long, he's just a severed head. But he sort of becomes Toxie's guide to the world of Amortville and his sidekick in this movie. And it's just this running gag. No, I'm just a head in a bucket. Yeah, that one was kind of like that hit a little hard because that was like a real case from a few years prior of like a dude actually getting dragged behind a pickup truck. And I was like, damn, we're going there. You say say from a few years prior, regrettably, that is a case that seems to repeat itself about once every three years. True, but there is a very high profile one that got a lot of ink, though. But Um, but at least in this case, we got to see the clan face brutal. Exactly. There is comeuppance. And of course, while this is going on, while Toxie's trying to find his way around a Mortville, in Tromaville, the Noxic, uh, the Noxus, the Noxious Offender is really taking advantage of the fact that he's in a universe where everyone thinks he's a hero and he takes advantage of everyone's goodwill. Uh, and he eventually becomes, you know, a monstrous menace. He, uh, once again, stuff that you may have a hard time uh, getting through. Uh, he he goes back to Melvin's home. He goes back to Melvin's home and he uh, and he rapes Claire. At first, she thinks he's Melvin, but then he reveals he's not. Uh, so there's that to get through. Uh, and it all comes to a head when uh, finally the mayor of Tromaville decides to call in some other superheroes to take this super deformed creature of superhuman size and strength down. And then we have another thing in the movie that's hard to get into, which is Ron Jeremy plays the mayor of Tromaville. Hmm. And at the time, 
he we all thought he was this sort of cool ambassador for porn uh, and unique cinema because he was showing up in a lot of interesting movies at the time, including this one, including Terror Firmer. Uh, it was only I think later. His that, big mainstream movie at the time that he had a part in was uh, Boondock Saints, right? Uh, he, he had shown up in some other things, but that was, I think, his most high-profile appearance. Where yeah, he played like a mafia dude who gets murdered in a in a strip club. Um, but but he but we we now know that he he is in fact a real creep. And I think he's is he he was found guilty of some shit. He's, is he's in jail right now? Isn't he? Uh, he might be in jail awaiting sentencing. I don't think the sentencing has happened, but oh, yeah, true. that was a case that it, that was less high profile than I thought. I mean, um, it. I think it was sort of around the same time you had a case with him going on, and you had a separate case uh, that had to do with um, uh, underage stuff going on with Horatio Sands, unfortunately. Gross. So. Yeah. He, he's involved. He's regrettably he's been involved in some dark shit, which a lot of it's outside the scope of the podcast. But the short version is, his when when this came out in two thousand, these these scenes were great. It was great to see Ron Jeremy have a bigger speaking part. And now at best it's embarrassing, and it were and at worst it's just hard to get through. It's not that fun. Yeah. But he does introduce us to, you know, Sergeant Kabuki Man kind of organizes Troma's Justice League. And, and what I love about when Sergeant Kabuki Man comes out, and not only is he he drunk, but when he explains how he's going to defeat Noxie, he just recites the narration from the trailer for Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD. <laughs> where he just, like, if you'll notice, when he explains his powers and his plan of attack, he's just doing the superpowers narration from that movie. My 16-bit sushi. And my heat-seeking chopsticks. But but he introduces all these other trauma heroes. So we get uh, we get Master Bader, the rapping Master Bader. We get oh, the right. human vibrator, who's just like cyborg with the vibrator for a hand. We get Dolphin Man, who trauma has been teasing forever. And who would go on to make a cameo appearances and a lot of other trauma stuff. And they did some internet shorts with Dolphin Man, I believe. Uh, and what's fascinating, and, and there's a whole deleted scene, but the human vibrator, the woman who played uh, the human vibrator, let me see if I can find her name, because she's really talented. She looks like someone from, like, Zion or, like, a KMFDM video or something. Well, she actually is, she actually is a musician, and when she, you know, Troma often plays fast and loose with directing, so, like, they... They they let her kind of improvise uh, a lot of her stuff. So when she comes out, she improvised a whole rap, like explaining her origin and how her powers work. Oh, and no it was shit. great, except the whole shtick with Master Bader is that he's a rapping superhero. And that uh -oh. we can't have we can't have the non-rapping superhero have a better rap than the rapping superhero that yeah. could cut it in a way that made it funny like it could have been. So sadly, mm -hmm. it's a deleted scene, but it's pretty fun. But the entire team <laughs> gets dispatched immediately. And again, you can't help but make the um, the James Gunn connection with a Suicide Squad movie. Well, there, there's actually, there's a deeper James Gunn uh, connection because in Amortville, Toxie needs help understanding parallel dimensions, so he finds a physicist, Dr. Flem Hawking, who is played by James Gunn of the Suicide yep. Squad and uh, Peacemaker was, fame. Which is great, and um, 
of course, he's, they're riffing on fucking uh, Stephen Hawking, clearly. And then they have to throw it in there that he's also, you know, can't get it up. And then there's this there's this great bit where, like, they watch a PSA about the dangers of accidentally falling through wormholes. <laughs> <laughs> it's got Lloyd Kaufman as this hapless guy going into the wrong dimensions. Uh, that's brilliant. But, right. yeah, and it's... Um, hmm? One cameo I thought was sort of a deep cut, uh, and he was big from Howard Stern at the time, was Hank the Angry Drunken Dwarf plays God. Oh, yeah. Toxic has a near-death <laughs> experience and meets God. And this this is one of those things where, like, originally, I think they were supposed to, like, film it at, like, some sort of carnival or some really impressive location. And the location fell, fell the bottom fell out of that location, and they couldn't get it on the day they were supposed to film. So they just had to go to the nearest place they could get to see the ocean. But it seems kind of appropriate to trauma that, that heaven is just kind of a shack in Jersey that has like a, a God is a dwarf and there's angel babes dancing. Like that just seems like ironically, it is the perfectly executed trauma version of heaven. And I like his references to the Pope too. Oh yeah. And, and Hank and uh, the Hank, the angry drunken dwarf, you know, huge on the Howard Stern show. Um, Lloyd Kaufman, it's really actually heartbreaking. Lloyd Kaufman talks about this on uh, on the audio commentary. He bl he outright blames uh, Howard Stern for Hank's death. Hank did die uh, not too long after this, you know, due to like complications with his his alcoholism, and 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 like the fa the fact is that he 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 didn't have to be an alcoholic, but Howard Stern really played up the angry drunken dwarf angle to the point where he was just constantly drinking. He, they would, they would just feed him booze when he was on the show. If he went out in public, everybody wanted to buy him a drink. He just, uh. he, he regrettably really became what was initially a character he was playing. And like, that was, and that was a conflict on the set is, you know, like Lord Cobb says, no, I do a dry set. I am not going to let you drink. And during the filming of these scenes, was one of the few times he ever really got to work for a prolonged period sober. Wow. And could sort of be clear-headed. So it's really, that's that's another kind of a tragedy adjacent to this film. Wow. So, yeah, that's um, someone really kind of being a victim of their own creation, huh? Yeah, right. I mean, you could also argue Stern uh, could have been responsible for the oh, a yeah. lot of the Artie Lange behavior. Where they kept on making those, you know, big stories and big points to the show to say, oh, where did you do drugs this time? And, oh, I think we think you're lying about doing heroin and all these things. And yeah, it, 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 I don't think it really helps when people are trying to get in and out of recovery. At the same time, the Howard Stern show made those people's careers in a big way. Video Death Loop is the show where we watch a short video clip on loop until we just can't take it anymore. Along the way, we'll try our best to make each other laugh and to hold out longer than the other guy. Come in on any episode. Video Death Loop, new episodes every Friday. Come on in, take a seat. What are you having? Well, of course I've heard of Hair of the Dogcast. That's the podcast that talks about video games and beer. For all of the latest gaming headlines, craft beer reviews, retro games, modern games, series retrospectives, console studies, and on occasion, extremely hungover discussions on the lore of Kingdom Hearts, make sure to check out Hair of the Dogcast, part of the HyperX Podcast Network. New this April from HyperX is the HyperX Clutch Controller. Get better control of your mobile gaming with its comfortable grip, directional pad, analog sticks, and shoulder buttons. 
This versatile controller can fit a variety of phone widths and can also connect wirelessly for use on tablets and PCs. Learn more and pick one up online at HyperX and HP.com, Amazon, Micro Center, Target, Best Buy, and many other fine retailers. When um, Toxy, Sweetie Honey, Tito, Pompey uh, are all working with Flem Hawking to sort of find a way to return Toxie to the Tromaville universe, there's this whole sort of like montage and like the script, the script was just loaded with stuff for them to do during the montage. And one part, and, and the part where you can see the bottom falling out, in the middle of the montage, there's sort of this poppy rock song playing. And in the middle of it, we see all of the characters with tennis rackets strumming them like guitars and kind of <laughs> singing along to the pop song. Originally, the joke was they were supposed to be a band like a Hanna-Barbera cartoon, and they were supposed to do like a really repetitive guitar playing motion. But mm. again, the rental instruments fell through on the day of filming, so they just <laughs> had to like throw this together. And... As a, this is one of the few times we're doing the cheap trauma version doesn't work as well as it probably would have if they had had the, the resources. But in the end, you know, trauma uh, Toxie does find a way back to his his universe uh, and has to, you know, he gets he gets his awesome fight with the uh, with the evil Kabuki man. Uh, and that's that's a very that I'm going to say that that fight in like the meatpacking warehouse that is probably the best executed fight scene in the entirety of the Toxic Avenger series. Yeah, definitely. There's like actual choreography and there's some nunchuck action too. And and like like they like I don't and yeah, and like the guy doing Kabuki Man, he 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 would appear to actually know martial arts. I mean, he is flexible, he is doing some well-coordinated moves. But Toxie ends up back in our universe and goes to uh have his final showdown with when it comes down to it, the only enemy worthy of himself himself <laughs> and oh and i guess we got to talk about sarah claire because because when when noxie has sex with so she got pregnant from toxie when he had sex with her in the opening but then she got pregnant again from noxie when he had sex with her and so there's this fascinating abortion subplot where oh, there's a good baby and an evil baby, and they're battling yeah. each other in her womb, and it's going to create pregnancy complications. And so if she doesn't get an abortion, she might die. But this being a trauma version, a trauma movie, it's a trauma version of an abortion clinic. Clearly. I, I do like yes. that touch on the, like, you know, abortion clinic protesters. Like, what does it say? Like... If you don't love life, we'll kill you. Yeah. Uh, you know, all the, the obligatory, like, God hates fags and stuff like that. Um, and, yeah, I, I like that they touch on that. Because there's a lot of topical stuff in here that I appreciate. Um, well, and, I, and I actually, and I talked about that, like, how when I saw Cruella, I, I was just, like, I realize it's a Disney movie. But, you know, this person who has a baby they don't want is well connected and wealthy why can't they just end the pregnancy and, and i love that in this movie they just flat up like address real issues surrounding abortion something that you don't tend to see in film and at also, least not in america like in the like late 90s early 2000s like that was kind of like a big fever pitch of like the anti-abortion fear you know i remember seeing picketers and church groups and shit all around family planning and stuff not just that, then uh, at least at least where I was uh, growing up at the time in Georgia, you had people picketing outside of high schools. Oh, yeah. when people would come and pick up their kids from school or drop them off. Oh, because they didn't want to learn like sex ed or something. 
I, I guess, but it would be specifically anti-abortion stuff, like with the photos and everything. Oh wow! And and what? parents complained, and they tried to they had to keep going back and forth to court to see, okay, how far can the campus, can the people legally do it? And Ooh. it ended up, they ended up instead of doing it right on the school grounds, they did it on the sidewalk in front of the school grounds, which was a more crowded place anyway. Oh, okay. so yeah. <laughs> It's weird, like like that kind of like that that particular like type of. I I honestly don't know like the best term, but that kind of like far right, um, like like Christian protesting sort of thing. I I, I always feel like those people tend to think the worst about strangers. Uh, when I uh, after I graduated college, when I was managing the pizza place, I remember a day where like a bus. It was like a bus. It was like one of those like like religious tour groups. Uh, the whole bus stopped at the pizza place and everybody got a slice of pizza. And instead of getting any tips, do you know what I got? Prayer cards? I, no, I got a pamphlet about uh, I got a pamphlet about how I how I need I need Jesus to end my rampant alcoholism. <laughs> and by the time I saw what this pamphlet was actually <coughs> excuse me actually about. They were out the door, but I really, but I know who handed it to me and I was sorely tempted to go out there and just kind of put it under their nose and just ask them, what the, he what do you really think of me? Is this who you think I am? Yeah, that's pretty extreme. I, I've, I've seen people do what you're saying, Alex, where it's a little flyer or a little, uh, the cards I, I used to see, uh, like, you know, like, you know, you need to be saved or something, but to oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. have something specifically saying that you're an alcoholic and need to, I mean, that's Quite something. Stupid, yeah, what? Where the hell did they jump to that conclusion? Um, I know. But, it, but, but actually, stinking drunk at work. I mean, like, I yeah. doubt it. Well, th well, this is the this is the irony. That particular period was the soberest I ever was because I was so <laughs> overworked. I didn't have time to drink. Yeah. Uh, so that was a dark period. Uh, but but oh, I could tell some stories. But back to the movie. At least I had trauma to, to comfort me and soothe oh. my jangled nerves. But it's it's during the whole like abortion thing. We get some great scenes with Lisa Gay returning the trauma stalwart Lisa Gay, class of Newcomb High too. But we all, that's also where we get the awesome scene with uh, with the uh, with the gifted actor Kinky Finkelstein, <laughs> which like takes the it takes this. It's a wonderfully over the top performance as, as we've come to expect from Kinky. But so, there's a touch in the scene that I absolutely love. Where a woman wearing only body glitter, like, comes out from under the desk in the middle of the conversation. is like, doctor, have I left the thermometer in my bottom long enough? <laughs> <laughs> it's such a weird moment. It's like, well, we haven't we haven't reached our trauma quotient of melon heavy breasts yet. Better better put them here. <laughs> I think so, though, speaking of um, uh, you know, mammary organs, uh. I think like the one time, the one of the few times where it felt excessive was um, when you have like the weird Noxus uh, offenders like translator. She's just like topless and not translating anything. Oh yeah. Oh god. Oh, that's actually something else fun because it's called it's called Citizen Toxie, and there are a lot of like film classic film references throughout oh, this, yes. but they actually do the newsreel from Citizen Kane, which where I will argue that's probably the best part of the movie. Well, it's a great bit, especially if you know Citizen Kane. You know, he he hangs out with the president of the United States, played by Hugh Hefner, another person who we thought was great at the time, but who has a 
very complicated and tragic legacy. Yeah. Uh, you know, Julie Strain's there. He kills a lot of people. And it even has that thing. How did you find the arts in Tromaville? And he just, like, really smugly turns to the camera with great difficulty. <laughs> <laughs> it really, really makes a meal out of that, that bon mot. Uh, and then, of course, ending with him like doing doing uh, doing cocaine and getting a nosebleed, just going nose blood and dropping the toxic Avenger snow globe. <laughs> oh man! Oh, but we do we do get that final shot. Oh, and the actor who played Cigar Face comes back in this movie playing another Nazi. Yeah, a lot of Nazi paraphernalia here. Um... And another couple of cameos that I wanted to note was um, director Eli Roth and, of course, Lemmy Kilmeister from Motorhead. Yeah. Lemmy and his moles. <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, and the the final battle, uh, oh, and, and of course, another, another horrible thing when Sergeant, when the alcoholic Sergeant Kabuki man hides from the Noxic Avenger not wanting to die, he hides in Toxie's shack. Claire is asleep. So he has sex with Claire, so that happens again. Oh, jeez. Uh, well, yeah. Oh, we get to see Kabuki Man's dick, <laughs> which turns out looks just like his face, which I guess we should have expected, but right. it's still, it always gets me. But the final fight uh, with, uh, with Noxie and his goons, it's a great big over-the-top fight. We get that great gag where, like, Toxie punches the guy near the x-ray machine, and we see, like, an x-ray of the guy's head exploding. Um, and again, I think that predates, like, a lot of the Mortal Kombat, like, the 3D video game x-ray shots, like, bones mm -hmm. getting broken and oh, shit. Yeah. So once again, drama strikes first. And we also get a we also get a bit where like they start playing a sort of cheesy synthesizer knockoff version of Duel of the Fates, and the Noxic <laughs> offend, Noxious Avenger brings out his mop, and it's a red mop that's double sided like Darth Maul's lightsaber, <laughs> which just came out at the time. Oh yeah, and it's really great. And like, and you know, and I, I, I am fascinated by the climax of the fight because it sort of brings in so much extended trauma lore. So in Tromeo and Juliet, for a dream sequence, they had this like penis puppet made, mm -hmm. and the special effect was so good they look for any excuse they can to reuse that special effect. Because why spend money more than once? So a running gag with Noxie is that he's obsessed with his body and has had a lot of plastic surgery has like where's the fake wig you know there the fake hair uh and had a penis pump put in because he's ashamed of his penis and so he you know he gins out his pump and his penis is the penis puppet and he's gonna try to and he's gonna try to rape uh to rape toxie but no toxie gets the upper hand defeats him and tears him apart and in kind of a a, a sort of poetic scene Underneath the noxic, noxious offender is just scared little Melvin, and they got the original Melvin back. Yeah, yes, I saw that. Yeah, who then turns out to be a complete asshole. Yeah, uh, and so and keeps fighting, and so Toxie, Toxie, this sounds like something that I would have put in my pitch as a joke, and I'm glad they did it. He throws Melvin out the window. Melvin falls in a vat of nuclear waste. <laughs> And gets retoxified and like runs away on fire, vowing revenge, which I absolutely adore. I'll come back if they ever make a sequel. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll bop Claire. I'll bop Claire. I'll bop Claire. <laughs> but like, I kind of like, I kind of like what that says though, you know, cause it, cause it, it sort of reveals, cause like Melvin, the original Melvin for all of his hardships was still kind of a, 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 a positive, uh, kind of a, a positive, optimistic kind of happy guy. But right. the evil version of Melvin is the version of Melvin that gave in to despair, that gave in to self-loathing, that that basically believed what all of the bullies in the first Toxic Avenger ever said about him. And I think thematically that's very poignant. Yeah, good that's point. what makes him the villain. Yeah, it's a nice uh nice moment. I mean, any last thoughts about Citizen Toxie? Well, we do get some good final gag because while this, while while Toxie's battling Noxie, the two fetuses battle each other, and originally they were going to get two little people to do this, but they're too expensive. They could only afford one little person, and that was Hank. Um, uh, so, and then the plan was to have Lloyd's daughters do it, but they couldn't do get the makeup right. So finally, they just did these like weird puppets. Which so I kind of like how goofy the puppets work, but the good fetus defeats the evil fetus and kills it. And Claire, in the end, gives birth and Toxic can be a father. But because Claire was fucked a third time by Kabuki Man, she still gives birth to two babies <laughs> or, or three babies or something. And, and one of them has Kabuki Man's head. And so it <laughs> ends It ends on the same joke that Naked Gun 33 and a third ends on, where Toxie sees the baby and goes, Kabuki Man! <laughs> and ch- gives chase to for Sergeant Kabuki Man. I just, um, uh, first of all, the, the, the baby fucking duel. Like, I know it's played for laughs, but that was fucking creepy. I was fucking unsettled mm-hmm. by that it was really strange and unpleasant to look at um however the fucking kabuki man baby it, my favorite line though was just kabuki man going cute kid and just that weird stupid mumbly voice of his i just <laughs> laughed out loud and like when they're like cutting from everyone like at the end you know like the, like everyone gets a close-up shot it was just like one scene where it cuts to kabuki man in the wheelchair and he just goes like <laughs> he doesn't say anything <laughs> Oh, yeah. and, I, and I love oh God and I love the like and then we even get a little bit of like you know last minute narration uh, from like Stan Lee which ends with and please don't forget to recycle your bottles and cans <laughs> um, oh oh I forgot to tell when Toxie leaves when Toxie leaves the dimension with Sweetie Honey to get her back to her grandmother's um, Tito and Pompey stay behind because they basically decide that they're going to be the superheroes for this universe. And so Tito becomes the retard Revenger. Okay. Not a sensitive name, but it's the name that you're going to get in this movie. Uh, and, and like and like Tito, or like Pompey is just like the head, but like, you know, his brain and Tito's brawn, they're going to clean up a Mortville, which is, is kind of nice. Yeah. So like, I like, I like that, that Tito finds purpose uh, and kicks the smack. He kicks the smack. Yeah, there you go. And Alex, any last thoughts in the film? Um, I mean, you know, it's honestly it moves after the second and third ones. This one moves quite well. It's got a good momentum to it. Um, they're throwing everything at you, and it is uh, fucking you know shameless exploitation um, done without regard for fucking anybody. Um, I think a lot of it works, and a lot of it is a little too much, but that's the fucking, that's the trauma brand, so I say uh, sequel yes. 
you know, I, I, I thought I might come around and say sequel. No, I'm going to give this a sequel. Yes, this is such an undiluted vision, as strange as that vision is. It's got it's got its problems, but the gestalt of those problems, the whole of the movie is better than its flaws. Uh, and once again, as we're talking about trauma saving money, the uh, mega car flip scene from Sergeant Kabuki Man gets reused in this movie. Because again, why spend money twice? Right, and also I, it's a dangerous stunt. I love that we get that car flip and explosion again in this film. It's just like, you know, you take a drink when you see that. That is, a, I, I have to give this a sequel. Yes, I really want Toxie Five made. I want to see what the Toxic Twins, which was the the going title for that. I want to know what that movie's about. I want to see Toxie as a father, and I want to see what kind of villain they've come up with. They've had such interesting villains in these movies. Now that Toxie has fought himself. Where do you go from there? Time-traveling cyborg Hitler? Cthulhu Abe Lincoln? I don't know. <laughs> but I want to see what they would come up with. I will say, though, it was a close... It's a, this is a marginal sequel. Yes, I mean, I will probably never watch this again. Um, I will probably never show it to anyone. Um, however, it's it's unforgettable, so... Yeah, some like some films are just experiences. You know, exactly. hey, a colonoscopy is not pretty and it's not convenient, but if you're a person of a certain age, you should have one every few years. Exactly. It's worth it. And that's what this movie is. It's a colonoscopy of a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, that needs to be on a DVD. <laughs> right. I, you know, I give the sequel, yes. I think, you know, the pacing's better. You have some fun cameos in here, I think. The story is kind of more interesting in it, and and that it moves, and it's it's certainly a big improvement. Oh, excuse me, over oh, Toxic Avenger three, less than patient of Toxie. So, there you go. Uh, oh, hey, Kevin Eastman, co-creator of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, also dies in this movie. He was married okay. to Julie Strain at the time. On the other thing too is that I know it's satire, and I know it's coming from people who you know like this is guar not gg allen you know this is like yes. Guar, not el duce you know what i mean it's el that Bosti. it's that knowing um wink so it's like with that knowledge i know that uncle lloyd's good people and yeah doesn't endorse any of the things that it's uh critiquing sure um so there you go i would say uh on to what you're watching i um Went and watched a film I'd never seen before. It's on Paramount Plus. Mm. I was so sleepy this morning. Um, and and this film, I think it in some ways probably plays better now than it did at the time. But this is Scream Three. Hey, I'd never seen this for whatever reason. It has a weird James Allen Bob cameo. Um, that Wes Craven later kind of you know heated a cameo and James uh, Allen Bob Strike Back. And it's it's OK. I mean, you can tell it, it was compromised. Originally, it was going to be set at the, uh, the high school of the adults going back to the high school, returning to the town. Instead, it became kind of like a Hollywood spoof uh, thing. And I was reading that three different endings were shot because they weren't really confident in huh. who the killer was. And I kind of wish you'd see what those endings are, because um, the one they pick I don't think works especially well. If that was the best one, I don't know if they even should have made it. But uh, anyone else ever seen this one? Yeah, no, I, don't think I, have. I actually just recently watched it because I just kind of wrote it off. I was like, oh, a third movie. No, I'll forget it. 
And then I came around and watched it, um, I think, last summer. And there's some good stuff in there. It's not great, but it's fun to watch. And I guess, you know, there's a Scream 4 and another one out that just came out this year, right? Yeah, the new one that just came out. I had a TV uh, series. Yeah, yes. the TV series was two seasons. I think it was meant to be four. Only two were made. Um, the new Scream 5 is just called Scream, which despite that, it made enough money that the Scream 6 is going into production coming out next year. So there you have it. Um, yeah, I mean, it's an iconic look, that mask and and everything. And uh, for the third movie... Uh, was it Kevin Williamson, I think, was the, was the writer of the first two? Couldn't do the third one because he was too busy doing other stuff and didn't have great relationships with Miramax at the time. And um, because of that, it was written instead by Aaron Kruger, who had written a film called Arlington Road. And um, later he'd go on to write a lot of the Transformers movies and stuff. And uh, a lot of people criticize that as reason for it not being as good. Um, and I've heard the new one, uh, I watched the first 10 minutes of the new one, and that one was, was pretty intense, kind of almost more realistic in the beginning with the celebrity death. So, all right, um, Alex, what you been watching? So I was in need of a good laugh. <clears throat> so I watched uh, Richard Pryor's stand up on the Sunset Strip. Nice. I this was after fun. his accident, right? Yeah, yeah, he's got that great line. He's like, I really appreciate y'all coming out to see me tonight, especially after all the fucking up I've been doing this year. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's you know, I've seen it a million and one times, and I could probably recite it word for word, but goddamn, it's just as funny as it was the first time around. I mean, his timing, his body language, the way he uses the microphone, he's just a fucking master at the top of his game. Have you seen that one, Thrasher? No, I can. I, regrettably, I have not. It, you, uh, if you're big on stand-up, and I'm pretty sure the both you are, it's fucking awesome. It's so funny. Yeah, for whatever reason, it's less lesser known than some of his other ones. And I wish he would have done more concert films in his career. Um, yeah, there's he a lot kept of under the al- album certainly, but yeah, there's a lot of footage out there now of YouTube and everything. But like an actual concert film, I think he only did like a couple. And I know this this is so so terrible, but like when when I think of Richard is Richard Pryor is was a genius. Uh, and and yet whenever I hear Richard Pryor, the first thing I think of is not him or one of his routines, but the parody from In Living Color, the fake trailer for the movie Richard Pryor, scared <laughs> for no reason. He's like pouring a bowl of cereal, like Ooh. yeah. I also Which was I, watching I, a. I believe I talked about that at length when we did Superman three. <laughs> Yep, you did, and I mean, there's. I'm also reminded a bit of, um, oh, how do you put this? Uh, one of these other ones. Um, oh yeah, I, I was watching a, a Mad TV clip of uh, Spike Lee and him working at a video store, and you could get Mo Betta butter oh. for your popcorn. <laughs> and everything was kind of him doing bootleg merchandise. It was pretty funny. Um, so there you go. And uh, Thrasher, what have you been watching? So I, I have turned, like when I can't sleep at night, I found a, a new comfort food. I say new, this is something I've been aware of for years, but this is the first time I've really sat down and watched it. Uh, but it's an obscure pseudo-educational Canadian children's sketch comedy series, The Hilarious House of Frightenstein. Have you all heard of this? No. No. It, 
it's a real it's a real oddity. So it was uh, it was a it's 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 exactly what I described. But the two things that really kind of make it stand out is that is that one, the opening narration, the closing narration, and the interstitials are all done by Vincent Price, who there's like a hundred and fifty, a hundred and thirty episodes of this were made, and he recorded all of his bits, I believe, like over a four oh, over four days in Canada, and they just kind of read, like sprinkled them throughout the the show's run, and. He does it in full Vincent Price mode. His opening narration is actually outright scary to the point where I can't imagine any children like sitting through it. I feel like it would scare the intended audience away. But most of the show are sort of sketches and bits. Uh, most of them with most of the characters played by a uh, Canadian comedic actor, Billy Van. Um, uh, and it, it's all set around a castle called Castle Frightenstone which is owned by the nephew of Count Dracula, Count Frightenstein, played by Billy Van, who is trying to bring his monster to life. If he can bring his monster to life, he will be allowed to move back to Transylvania. But he also plays the Wolfman, who is a werewolf that runs their radio station, and it's a Wolfman Jack impression. Uh, and they would often do, like, he would often do little music videos for actual pop songs from, like, the 60s, but uh, they don't have the rights to the pop song, so if you get this from streaming or DVD, most of that music is removed, although a lot of it's been posted to YouTube if you want to check it out. A lot of this is on YouTube if you want to check it out. But uh, uh, he plays a Buona Clyde Batty, a sort of British explorer who does these bits where he talks about animals. Uh, Griselda, the ghastly gourmet, uh, a, a, a kooky witch who who cooks weird recipes with weird ingredients. And they cranked out so many episodes, everything feels like half improvised. It's sort of like a Christopher Guest movie where they were clearly told what comic beats to hit and clearly told what the joke putting the bow on the sketch was, but everything getting up to there feels completely loose and made up on the spot in such a way that it's very, very charming. Oh, interesting. Now, mind you, there's some stuff that doesn't age well. One of the sketches is a uh, Maharishi character that's, that's, that's Billy Van mm. in brown face playing a sitar and like saying like weird mystical quotes before a whole bunch of flowers get dumped on him. Yeah. And and a lot of the sketches end that way. A lot of the sketches end with some re repeated bit of shtick. Although I gotta say, I like his oracle. It's him doing a Peter Lorre impression as a psychic. And the running gag is he always knocks over his crystal ball and there's this huge <laughs> shattering sound effect. Uh, nice. But, you know, like a lot of children's shows, it repeats certain beats, so it's very comforting because you kind of always know what you're going to get. But there's some interesting variations to everything as well. Very cool. But if you have the hilarious House of Frightenstein, it's really bizarre. A uh, hundred episodes with the music videos removed are on Tubi. A lot of them are on YouTube if you want to check it out. You should probably watch at least one just to get a feel for it. It, it is just, as a person who likes doing a bad Dracula impersonation <laughs> and saying goofy things, a, the fact that there's a whole show built around people doing bad Dracula impersonations, <laughs> doing goofy things, I find very, very charming. And the show has enough of a legacy that uh, a few years ago, the uh, some of the surviving cast members released an album, an audio album that's basically a whole new episode. But Vincent Price being dead, they replaced him with Malcolm McDowell. I'm going to try to track this uh, this album down. I think hmm. 
sounds really fun. Very cool. Oh, and it was also one of those things where in Canada, it was meant as a children's show. It got syndicated in the United States. And in the United States, it was basically ran as a show for stoners, sometimes playing opposite <laughs> Saturday Night Live. Nice. Huh. How's the makeup on it? Bad, but in the best way. Like the Count and his sidekick, Igor, played by Fiska Rays. Oh, and the mini Count, played by Guy Big. It's just like green grease paint all over their face. Uh, there is actually some impressive makeup work, though, because Billy Van is playing the other characters. Each character, his face is hidden under a lot of makeup and prosthetics. And some of them look good, and some of them are creepy. Like Dr. Pet Vet, the, the mad veterinarian, he clearly is meant to look like Stan Freeberg, but he kind of ends up looking like Jack Nicholson as the Joker when he's when he's wearing the flesh tone paint. <laughs> oh, and one of the weirdest segments, there is a Canadian, there was a Canadian college professor who did sort of educational stuff who plays the professor. Uh, and he's sort of the Bill Nye of his day and he does these science segments which again all feel like they were like recorded in one day and what i find fascinating is yes it's is that he does two things one he never dumbs anything down and he will throw out some very technical words that i had to look up to follow the lesson but the other thing is that like he doesn't stop to explain anything it's just demonstration after demonstration after demonstration and then he tells a weird little joke and he has such a weird cadence. Like, you can tell this is an actual college professor who likes performing but isn't good at performing who they hired to do these bits. <laughs> oh, Julius Sumner Miller, that's his name. Very cool. You watch those segments. They're very manic, but they do interesting things. Great. So let's do a uh, sequel scene. You have pulled up. Who wants to do what part? Yeah, this is from the, this is from the, uh, this is, uh, so, you know, when Toxie dispatches the diaper mafia in Tromaville, he meets them again in a Mortville because they're Noxie's enforcers. So this is Toxie meeting characters that he thought he had killed earlier in the movie. It's a very basic scene, but it's the first, first excerpt of dialogue that I found from this entire run of movies where we have three characters talking. Hmm. It'd be tough to find. Um, I guess I'll play Rex diaper. I'll, I'll do be text diaper. Okay. So should uh, uh, we do Rex and Tech Dex? There's three diapers. Oh, Rex, sure. Tex, and Dex. Oh, yeah. You can do Dex. That's fine. All right, cool. So I couldn't even find one with three characters. I had to go for four. <clears throat> so Toxie. B, being mistaken for th by three thugs for the noxious offender. Didn't you learn your lesson the last time I disemboweled you, shoved your head up your ass, and killed you with your own diaper? What? What? Huh? Guess not. Rawr! Yeah. That's great and toxic noise. Oh, thank you. I pride myself yeah. on my Stanley impression. Very nice. Also, so, pretty so, good Jack Kirby. We will bombard your so, body uh, with Vita rays. Oh, where's my. I need, I need a tamale and I need 45 Swedish meatballs. Cut a seven. Cut a seven. Anybody oh. got an orange? I could get some mileage out of that orange routine right about now. Oh, that'd be great. Oh, my God. I got to get an uh, orange, orange flavored meatballs, and I think, oh, I want to get on the boat. 
<laughs> so we're a part of the Hyper X Podcast Network. Um, sure are. You can follow follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. Follow the show on Twitter at SequelCast2. Uh, Thrasher? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at WT2Art. Uh, you can also follow me there on Instagram as well. Uh, you can look. Uh, my latest publication is still 100 Oddities for an Arcane Academy, available on DriveThroughRPG.com and a number of other fine gaming uh, PDF uh, sellers. Although that should be changing soon, I can't wait to talk about my next book. And uh, Alex. You can find me on Twitter at CrabNebula1914. Um, thanks to Spring Break, I've actually been to, able to pop some new content on the YouTube channel, which is the trailer project. I did a trailer commentary for Olivier Assayas' 2019 film Wasp Network. And then I also made a um, short film regarding the um, situation in the Ukraine. Shit's real over there. Check it out. Um subscribe leave some comments likes dislikes however they measure them now i guess there are no more thumbs down people can't handle bad criticism for some reason whatever um but yeah pop around check it out and uh yeah anything's appreciated very good um so for sequel cast two this is matt this is thrasher and this is alex same so, if you find yourself thrust into an alternate reality, look to the horizon. One hideously deformed creature of superhuman size and strength will be there. Yes, dear reader, he'll be there. Hey.